his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. The aggressive advocates who were looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. This is KCBS In-Depth. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Holly Kwan. On this week's In-Depth, we'll bring you two extended interviews from our KCBS Ask an Expert segment. First up, on the last day of the U.S. Supreme Court's term, the justices released two major decisions. The court sided with a Colorado web designer who did not want to serve LGBTQ customers. The second overturned President Biden's student loan forgiveness program. Both decisions were six to three rulings split by the court's six conservative justices and three liberal justices. KCBS's Margie Schaefer and Eric Thomas spoke with Lori Levinson, Loyola law professor and former federal prosecutor. Let's try to get a read on on this court. Uh, we were expecting a continuous series, I guess, of conservative rulings. We got some, and then we got some that seemed more moderate, and then now it's back to conservative again. Right. Most of them have been conservative. There was a lull there with some of the voting cases and the election cases where it was more moderate. But on the cases that ended the term, whether it be affirmative action or today regarding LBGTQ rights or today regarding the loan forgiveness program, it was that six to three majority in favor of the conservatives. Uh, let's start with the uh, defeat for gay rights, um, the majority ruling that a Christian graphic artist in Colorado who wants to design wedding websites can refuse to work with same-sex couples. Well, what's the reasoning behind that ruling? The reasoning by the majority was that you cannot make this web designer provide content information that's against her First Amendment rights. She said she doesn't believe in same-sex marriages. She follows the Bible that says that a marriage is only between a man and a woman, and making her do these websites would violate her free speech rights. And the Supreme Court adopted that, but it's very, very problematic, as the dissent said. Justice Sotomayor said you're basically licensing discrimination and that people who are gay have constitutional rights. They're a protected class, but they're not being treated that way. Did the justices try to give themselves some wiggle room by saying this ruling applies to creative processes 
rather than if you were buying a motorcycle from me? A, a little bit, but I'm not sure it really goes far enough because there's always some speech in what we do in our businesses, whether you're doing a website or you're working in your store. So, yes, the focus of this was on creative rights, but the other side was arguing this is a business. So will this allow people who are in other businesses say, you know, I do some creativity in my business. I just don't want to serve these people. So years ago, I worked in Colorado, and they passed an amendment. It was called Amendment 2. This was in the 90s. It was a very big deal. Um, The voters of Colorado voted to enshrine into their constitution the right to refuse to rent to gay couples. And after it was passed, it immediately went to the Supreme Court. I want to say days, and it was struck down. So now, if a a landlord decided, oh, I have, I don't know, a special treehouse or or a special apartment building, and I have this religious belief. Is there a way that they could finagle not renting? Or even if a grocery store or a service business, um, I don't know, a, a plumber or termite removal, is there a way for these other businesses to use that same reasoning to refuse services to gay people? Well, we're not to that point yet, because as you pointed out, this one really focuses on the free speech clause under the First Amendment, and those situations would be more strained. But there's another reason I think those would be tougher cases for the court, because if we go back to the history of civil rights, public accommodations is in the heartland. Not allowing people to stay there because of their race or their background, that has been something that has been struck down for 50 years now. So gay rights have the problem, I would say, is that they're a recent right. And I know that there are some justices who are prepared to re-examine and say, if it's not right there in the Constitution, then we're not going to even recognize under due process that there are these gay rights. Let me uh, bounce this off of you, since we were talking about uh, the sort of... uh you know, disagreement or the way the the fault lines lie on the court in one of the student loan cases. There was this line from Justice Roberts, who was the author, it's becoming a disturbing feature of some recent opinions to criticize the decisions with which they disagree as going beyond the proper role of the judiciary ellipse, uh, that we do not mistake this plainly heartfelt disagreement for disparagement. And it's important the public not be misled either. What do you think Justice Roberts was trying to address there? I think Justice Roberts is duly concerned about the sort of the status of the court, that a lot of people have lost confidence in the court, and that there's this view that there are justices on one side or another, and they can never meet in the middle. And he wants people to believe that, no, we can have those discussions, even though we have strongly different views. But the after the Dobbs decision last year, I, I think there's a big question about whether the credibility of the court is on the line and who is attacking it, whether from it within or outside the court. It's very political. It seems more it is political. Extremely than political. Yeah, we've had other political times for our court. You know, we can't forget that at the time of the Warren court, the complaints were on the other side. But as Sotomayor pointed out, what's happening now is moving in a way that we haven't seen before, which is to take away rights rather than to acknowledge new rights. And that's why I think Roberts framed this in terms of, oh, we have to allow this or we're taking away this webmaster's rights. And the dissent saying we're not having any of that. 
you know, there are typical groups that have been in control, and you're just giving them more control. I uh, want to ask about the Supreme Court striking down Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. What's the reasoning behind this ruling? The reasoning behind this is that the uh, Supreme Court said that the administration, the Secretary of Education, and the president went beyond their powers, that only Congress could put exactly in their HEROES Act or another act relating to the student loans that they could have this mass forgiveness program, that they only indicated that the secretary could do individual waivers, but not this. And the administration had responded by saying, look, it's in the act that the secretary has the power to deal with emergencies. Now, no one knew at the time that that emergency would be a pandemic, but it was. And therefore, there was the power by the executive branch to do this, and Congress even authorized it. So it's a battle over which branch of government will have the power. If For me, as a layman, if there's one theme that runs through these big three decisions, it is um, individual rights versus collective rights. And uh, we saw that with affirmative action. You can use race on your essays, but you can't use it in a broad manner to for college admissions. Then we get to what seems to be an inconsistency involving the military academies. Well, we can still have race as a factor there, just not in uh, regular colleges. So what's the reasoning behind that? It just doesn't seem consistent to me. Well, I think some people brand it as an oddity. Others would say that for the academies, there's been a very strong showing about how there is the need to use race in order to have operative you know, military services. And I also think that traditionally the court has been reluctant to interfere with literally what are the decisions of the commander-in-chief. But it is this outlier, as you point out, which is if it's bad to use race in these college admissions, then how can it be just permissible for the military? And I think the military tried to establish factually why this was an imperative. This court is making decisions that are impacting our way of life. And it seems that there, there's a divided Congress. You can have whichever party in the executive branch, but it seems like the court has so much power right now. Well, that's exactly what Sotomayor said in her dissent on the student loan program. It said that, you know, this isn't an issue between Congress and the president. This is the court coming in and making these huge political answers to issues facing society. So, you know, the court wants to pretend that it just decides cases in front of it. But the cases it chooses, and let's not forget that, it chooses what cases it's going to decide. And then the standing that they give and then how broad their ruling is, you really see the court playing a significant role. And I think that this Supreme Court of the 6-3 majority got themselves snagged when they started overturning clear precedent. I actually think when they overturned Roe v. Wade and they lost the anchor of precedent, that's why people would say they're trying to get more power just read that uh, they are taking another Second Amendment case for the next term, this one involving uh, whether or not uh, people who've committed domestic violence can reacquire firearms when it's all over. Uh, That's another one of those cases you're just talking about. Right. In fact, that's another case that goes back to the Heller decision, 
where Justice Scalia at the time sort of found a Second Amendment right for individuals to have firearms that had not been recognized for the 200-year history of our nation. So we've had this fight about who's the activist court. The conservatives used to say, oh, the liberals are the activist court. But if you take a look in the area of the Second Amendment, no question that it's been this Supreme Court and particularly Justice Thomas, who have been so active in establishing the Second Amendment right to the point where it's put on standards that no other rights are. It's not enough to show you have a good reason to control guns. You actually have to show that back at the colonial days they would have done that. And that's just an extreme standard. Uh, You mentioned that the court has the ability to choose the cases. Are there other cases that you expect them to take up? And uh, what about uh, the security of gay marriage? Well, you know, in terms of cases coming up, they're just starting to take these cases. I actually want to highlight cases that they're not taking anymore. They used to take a lot of cases regarding our rights of privacy, Fourth Amendment, how law enforcement can act. They're not taking any of those, and they didn't really take them this term. So they're moving towards the area of Native American rights, states' rights, big constitutional issues. Um, On your second question was regarding... Gay marriage. Gay marriage, yeah. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. I do know that Roberts, I think, was trying not to go to the extreme of reexamining the prior decisions, recognizing the right under due process to a gay marriage. But I know that that's going to be an internal fight, and those cases will percolate up through the lower courts. That's really the concern. Uh, What people don't often know is that when the prior administration was able to appoint so many judges on the federal bench, that gave openings in circuits like the Fourth Circuit, the Fifth Circuit, and the like. What we do know is that the abortion issue is headed right back up to the Supreme Court, particularly uh, medical abortion, um, uh, you know, uh, medicine that can be used for abortion. Those cases are headed back up to the Supreme Court. Lori, thank you so much for being with us. We've been joined by Lori Levinson, Loyola Law Professor and former federal prosecutor. In our second segment, we'll be focusing on what many of you are doing this weekend for the 4th of July holiday, taking to the friendly and sometimes not so friendly skies. This week saw a combination of heavy summer storms and industry staffing shortages that walloped flights nationwide. KCBS's Margie Schaefer and Eric Thomas spoke with Henry Hardefeld, travel industry analyst with Atmosphere Research Group, about these issues. There's additional issues that come up with the staffing shortages. Um, what is going on with that, with the FAA? I mean, I guess it's just not the not only the air traffic controllers, but also pilots. Correct, Margie. So the pilot shortage has been widely discussed. In fact, I think I've been on KCBS discussing this in the past. Uh, the good news is that airlines in the past year have made substantial progress hiring thousands of more pilots, uh, flight attendants, mechanics, and other workers. That's good news. The bad news is that the FAA is still playing catch-up from COVID-related restrictions that were in place that limited the number of air traffic controllers they could hire in 2020 and 2021. So while they've made some progress in 2022 and are making more progress this year, we are still well north of 1,200 controllers short of what the FAA needs. In fact, it's so bad in Washington and New York, 
that the FAA asked airlines to cut their flying in and out of those markets. You have also read reports about uh, mandatory overtime in places and uh, shifts that just can't be covered because there isn't the personnel there. You're correct, Eric. So uh, in some cases, uh, uh, mandatory overtime has meant working longer hours per shift and for some air traffic controllers, six-day shifts rather than the normal five. Uh, you know, all of us, I think, can relate to the fact that that is, uh, uh, you know, obviously more stress, more burden, and the one thing you want are air traffic controllers who are not overstressed and are not overburdened and certainly are not overtired. Now, the, the, these controllers are amazing professionals. They've risen to the challenge, but it's not good. It's not serving anyone well. It's not serving the FAA well, the airlines, or the traveling public. And it's not like you can just put out a help wanted sign. I mean, these people are trained. <laughs> they, uh, what does it take to get a person to get to that level where you can be um, an air traffic controller? And, and, you know, how long is that wait period until we're, up, we're back up to fully staffed? So, Marky, that's a that's a series of really good questions. There, the FAA hires people during defined times. They they have applications on their website, uh, but they because the training is so complex, they only conduct it during a uh, they only open applications, I should say, for a set amount of time. Then you have to uh, be screened, and if your credentials are good, you go through the interview process. It's a very difficult interview process, intentionally so. You have to pass background checks, security checks, drug tests, and more. Then you're in training for months, uh, uh, and then you become assigned to, you are assigned to an air traffic control center or a tower as, if you will, an on-the-job um, uh, trainee. I don't want to, not literally a trainee, but you are um, uh, managed carefully by more experienced air traffic controllers. So it takes probably two to three years for a new hire air traffic controller to become really, truly uh, proficient at the craft that they're doing at, with the skills they need. Um, because as we all know, you can come out of college with book learning, but the real world has a way of doing things that they don't always teach. And so it's going to take the FAA a couple of years to fill all these slots, and that's assuming they get all the funding they need from government to hire all the people they need. Henry, also, uh, there's been a long-time, long-standing complaint from air traffic controllers and people who watch the industry about the technology that the FAA uses, that it's pretty much uh, years behind the curve. Yes, Eric. So the FAA is upgrading uh, the air traffic control systems used by at the uh, airport control towers and at the en route uh, air traffic control centers, what are known as TRACON centers. They're upgrading that to be satellite-based, uh, uh, much like we have in our own cars. Uh, they call it next-gen air traffic control, short for next generation, uh, and they are making progress there but that there are still back-end uh, uh, technology systems that date back decades. One of those systems failed earlier this year, and it snarled air traffic control uh, uh, across the country. Uh, and so it, you know, many of our, your listeners can probably relate because they may have updated technology in some parts of their organizations, but legacy systems elsewhere. And the FAA has to have the funding it needs 
to buy the technology it needs, and it doesn't always have as much money as it uh, requires. So these irritating flight delays this summer may have a new cause. Uh, The Transportation Secretary now, Pete Buttigieg, is warming of the 5G deadline. Can you break that down for us? Yes, because just like we, as if we don't have enough challenge just with a lot more flights uh, in the sky during the summer peak, starting July 1st, the uh, uh, mobile phone operators uh, will be able to upgrade their 5G transmission capabilities. Uh, And uh, the challenge is, the issue here is, there are some of these 5G towers located near airports. Not all aircraft have had altimeters uh, uh, upgraded to be compatible with this uh, higher frequency, higher uh, cap- uh, uh, transmission capability of this new 5G system. Um, so about 80% of the uh, aircraft are ready. Uh, United says all of its mainline Boeing and Airbus aircraft are ready. Southwest is ready. Uh, uh, United, I'm sorry, American will be ready by July 1. Delta has some airplanes that won't be ready, but they are working to get those done within the next few months. Same with JetBlue. Um, but the, some of the regional airlines, the airlines that operate smaller aircraft, may have some challenges. This will only really be an issue, though, when the weather gets bad. So, for example, here in the Bay Area, if we have fog or rain, uh, some aircraft may be affected. The good news is that that should be the minority of flights, and airlines have said they're going to do all they can to not schedule these types of planes into airports that are not ready to handle them. In the Bay Area, our three airports are ready to work with the 5G towers. You have to ask a question if you're a frequent traveler or even an infrequent traveler, which is since some of these problems we're talking about were foreseeable, why weren't they fixed before they caused major issues? Eric, that's a a smart question. So there were some problems before, and actually the uh, deadline for upgrading the 5G towers near airports has been extended twice uh, to July 1st of this year. Um, A big reason why the airlines don't have everything ready is the supply chain problem. You can't just walk into Home Depot or Lowe's and buy an altimeter for a commercial aircraft. These are specialized uh, parts coming from specialized suppliers. So uh, uh, it's a function of getting the hardware and then getting the airplanes into a hangar where these uh, they can be safely installed and then tested. Uh, so the good news is that the problem that exists is relatively small and uh, hopefully will not affect too many uh, passengers going forward because airlines are already developing contingency plans to account for this. Henry, I want to ask you, would you feel comfortable um, flying on a plane that hadn't been retrofitted for this 5G? And as a consumer, should we be asking this when we're booking our flights? Margie, the answer to your first question is yes, because I know the airline will not intentionally dispatch my flight to an airport in bad weather where this could be an issue. Uh, They would either swap airplanes or delay or cancel the flight if the weather is not expected to improve. So it wouldn't be fun, but I'm comfortable with that. 
If you're concerned about this, you can go actually onto the FAA's website, FAA.gov. Uh, they have a section on the website about 5G readiness at different airports. You can check that. Uh, and you can ask your airline uh, uh, if their aircraft are ready. The challenge will be, Margie, honestly, getting through to the reservation staff because right now they are overwhelmed with people whose flights have been disrupted uh, because of the bad weather. So if you're not flying in the next few days, I would encourage people to wait before reaching out to their airline. So a trend I'm noticing, Henry, is that um, since you know the, the more efficient you are, the more seats you have filled on your airplanes, um, the trend now is to go farther with single-aisle airplanes than it used to be, and so we're all more packed in like sardines than we used to be. Um, what are you seeing in that regard? Well, Eric, you know, it, the, the days of being able to get on a wide-body plane uh, from San Francisco to New York or Florida or Chicago or other places are pretty much behind us. Uh, uh, airlines want to use those wide-body aircraft, such as 787 Dreamliners or Airbus A330 jets, to fly to Europe, Asia, and other long-haul destinations where they need the added capacity, the added range, and the added belly cargo. Um, you know, that means we're going to be dealing with single-aisle airplanes, and in a way, it's a throwback to what the, to the beginning of the jet age when the first commercial jets operated. Um, this is the new reality uh, of, of how the airlines are doing business. The reason they're doing it is these new airplanes better match the number of seats to actual demand, and they don't have to discount uh, any more than they really want to in terms of the fares they offer. Um, what are you hearing about uh, compensation giving all these passengers that have been left stranded by canceled flights? Well, you know, some airlines are doing a better job than others. A lot of airlines are claiming that because it's weather, they're not responsible for anything. But uh, in this case, it is a matter of if you don't ask, you don't get. So if your flight is delayed or if your flight is delayed, you can ask nicely at the airport if the airline will give you a meal voucher. Um, uh, and if your flight is canceled, uh, you can ask nicely if they will provide a voucher for a free or discounted hotel rate, meal vouchers, if they will reimburse you for any necessities if you've checked your bags and cannot get your bags back. One thing that uh, all travelers should remember is if your flight has been substantially delayed, generally by two or more hours, although some airlines require longer, or if your flight has been canceled, you can ask for a full refund if you feel that taking the trip is just not going to be worth it. And in that case, the airline has to give you a refund to the form of payment you used, such as your credit card, though they will try to encourage you to take a flight credit. Henry, what's the future of airlines like um, oh, Spirit and Frontier that offer you a ticket price and then charge you extra for almost everything else? Is that uh, taking hold in the industry? I hope not. Oh, Eric, unfortunately, uh, that is the model that many airlines have now embraced. Uh, the day of the days of getting on the plane where your bag was included in the fare and you get a meal and everything else was included are long sadly passed. And that's because this unbundled business model, as the airlines call it, uh, is a, how they make money. Uh, uh, and their profits have 
uh, excluding COVID, of course, have been very strong as a result of this. Even uh, uh, network airlines like Delta, American, and United charge us fees to check a bag, reserve a seat in advance, to buy a meal on the plane if we're in coach, and more. So uh, uh, that business model is going to stick around, um, uh, though the uh, network airlines, again, American, United, Delta, and airlines such as Alaska and JetBlue tend to have fewer fees than the budget airlines. Thank you to Lori Levinson, Henry Hardeveld, Margie Schaefer, and Eric Thomas. And thank you for listening. For KCBS In-Depth, I'm Holly Kwan. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.